0: Punk is just uh, a rebellious rock for all kids, all of them. I mean, real rock and roll. It's punk. Not a bunch of old men playing music for uh, your mothers and fathers. That's what you have now. It's what they call rock. My mother doesn't even listen to that. They just want to clean up music, push mediocrity on the, uh, <laughs> on the public.
1: So you're back to your tattered jeans and your sneakers and um, your leather jackets and Nothing fancy. Well, we just it. wanted
0: to be real. We wanted to be ourselves and not uh, put on a bunch of phony clothes. Yeah, but wait a minute now. Is this real? Yeah. 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 I'm Guy. Thanks for dropping by for In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast. And this is another edition of Songs from a 1980s Roller Rink Dumpster. Although the Ramones' best songs and albums were made in the 1970s, the band seemed to become much more woven into the American pop culture at large in the 1980s. And as today's guest on the podcast points out, the quartet had a very productive fluorescent decade, which may have been overlooked. In other words, ended up in a 1980s Roller Rink Dumpster. Cat Taylor, a musician and previous guest back by the woodpile, now guides us through each Ramones album of the decade. All of them colored with a little bit of drama, to say the least.
1: Of course, you know, the Ramones were probably their best known albums were in the late 70s when they started out their first three, four albums. Aye. Was it a good decade
0: for them? Do
1: you think it started off a terrible decade for them? I mean, <laughs> it's amazing they made it through the eighties because, well, at the end of the seventies, they did the rock and roll high school movie for Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. and which is fun, uh, yeah. Oh, it's it's a blast, yeah. I mean, it's a fun b- movie, but I I don't know if that led them to to this thought or the record level of this thought or just frustration with, I mean, they're considered a punk band and they are for all practical purposes. But in, I think in their hearts, in the label's hearts, they wanted to have hits. They weren't shout out saying that. I know especially you know, Joey wanted to have hit records. And of course the label, they were on Cy Records, which was a major label. It wasn't some you know un- underground independent label. So they were under a lot of pressure, both personally and from the label, to put out hits. So they went into the studio with Phil Spector, who everyone knows Phil Spector. Yeah, and wall, they, the wall of sound. Yeah, and that's what they, they went for. They went for a wall of sound pop album, and they recorded End of the Century.
0: Can't go surfing, cause it's when I'm full of-
1: a miserable experience for him. <laughs> <laughs> is it a miserable experience for the listener? No, actually, the album is not bad. It, you can tell it's overproduced and you, the stories about it, the way Phil Spector produced it, like, he made them do so many takes of things mm. and they would get so, so frustrated. Supposedly, he actually held Johnny Ramone and maybe some of the others at gunpoint for a while to make them keep recording uh, doing more takes of songs. And he's, this guy ended up shooting his own wife, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly.
0: That's a good thing Ramones uh, did what he said.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, they talk about how just miserable the whole experience was. and
0: They so what, don't look very happy on the cover yeah. you're
1: showing. <laughs> yeah, and that was another thing, too. The album cover is a very different form because yeah, their signature look is black leather jackets. Mm-hmm. And on the album cover, they put them on a the red background, not wearing their leather jackets, but each wearing a different colored T-shirt. But yeah, I know one story was they were talking about, I forget if it was Joey or which one, said that he held them in the studio and forced them to listen to Baby I Love You, which is the first on side to over and over and over again, and kept making them recut takes, recut takes. And if you listen to it, you can hear, I mean, yeah, it's a wall of sound, but just layers of production, you know, mm-hmm. overdubs. And the one thing about the Ramones, they always sound like the Ramones, no matter what's done to the production. But it's kind of a shock going from Road to Ruin to End of the Century, and you hear kind of what's happening. Now, there's some great songs on here. You know, do you remember Rock and Radio is a great song? So, right, yeah, like radio, Chinese rock is one of my favorites. I... Which Debatable whether that's a Ramon song or a Heartbreaker song. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of back and forth about who wrote the song. Johnny Thunders was for the New York Dolls. And you're up in a ballerina on a spring afternoon. <laughs> he was the guitar player. Um, you know, New York Dolls were like kind of a what they call a proto-punk band. They were a Glam band. Yeah, yeah. And then him and Dee Dee Ramon and some kind of a revolving door people, they performed the Heartbreakers for a little while wrote a few songs yeah they broke up quickly but then they kept doing like reunion touring again and some of the members would change but somewhere during that period Chinese rock was written Dee Ramon Ramone was involved but depending on who you talk to depends on who wrote the most of the song right so, was there a lawsuit over? Or? no there never was it's just it was recorded by you know the Heartbreakers and the Ramones and some of the albums will have different songwriting credits <laughs> Things only got worse from there. <laughs> First of all, the album was their highest charting album. It only reached number 44. And that was not exactly considered to be all a pop success. And actually, it was number 14 in Great Britain, number 44 in America. Johnny Ramone hated it. He said it just sounds like watered-down Ramones. It's not a real Ramones album. He always liked the more heavy punk stuff, so making things popular for him wasn't his thing. So the next album they did, they... Still want to go in a pop direction to have hits. <laughs> now let me ask you this: yeah.
0: who in the punk scene was having hits on the radio?
1: Nobody. <laughs> I'm gonna say
0: because I mean I know some people they went the new wave route and all that.
1: Right, which but... is a different thing. And the thing is, I mean, you go back further, you know, the origin of punk is you know confused and muddy too. Yeah. A lot of people think of punk as you know Great Britain, the Sex Pistols, the Clash, and all that, which they were, but that's almost like a whole different kind of punk. I mean you some people go back and say, oh no, it happened before the Ramones and all that, you know, they were in the sonics in the sixties and all. But the term punk from a magazine that was put out by some guys called Punk Magazine, which originally was a
0: derogatory term yeah. for homosexuals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It was not even just homosexuals; it was like guys that were in prison right. that got basically rape bait. Right. It's
0: still used in the black community today. Problem. When someone is. calls you a punk, it's implying your yeah, homosexual. Yeah, they're not implying that you like playing you get like, yeah. <laughs> 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 And
1: that's why they named the magazine that. They were just like they wanted a kind of a shocking name. Know. But they were covering, you know, the music they liked around New York. You know, it was just pretty much raw rock and roll by mm-hmm. guys that weren't super talented musicians. They were trying to get rid of all the, you know, late '60s, early mid '70s excess. So bands like Led Zeppelin and overproduction and all, all that. All the prog rock. Yeah, yeah. These bands from CDGs like yeah. Ramones and Blondie, Television, and all that, the Dictators. Yeah, they weren't going for. You know, we're going to yeah. be punk rock, we're going to do this, right. it was shocking. They were just kids in the garage that wanted to play rock and roll with a lot of energy, mm-hmm. not worry about a lot of production and things like that. So it wasn't so shocking that a band like, you know, Ramones would want to have hits. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I say none of the band, no bands had hits, but of course, you know, Blondie did and Talking Heads, which, you know, by today's standards would not be considered punk, but a lot of their hits really came later, like when Blondie went more of a disco route. Or, right. But, you know, they had a popular sound, so... Sure. It was a second record of the 80s, Pleasant Dreams. Once again, they're trying to have hits, and they use a different producer. You know, of course, no one wanted to go back to Phil Spector. Mm. And it was mostly Joey that wanted to work with this guy. It was a guy from the band uh, 10CC, Graham Gouldman. He wrote you know, several pretty well-known hits. The weather's turned and all the lines are down. What an odd pairing! In fact, when Joey asked him to produce the record, he was kind of like, "What? What is it that? Why do you? What do you say that you in your music that you think that would be a good fit for?" All right. And Joey's response was something to the effect of, "I think what we're doing is a lot like what you've done." Whoa. <laughs> and one of the reasons that this it came about this way, the band wasn't even talking to each other by this point. Dee Dee and Johnny despise each other at this point; they wouldn't even talk. And it led to, you know, if you look at into the Century Downs before that. All the songs are credited to, you know, unless they're cover tunes, which they had a lot of, the Ramones. Well, no matter who contributed what, they all decided it was a collaboration. Well, between the fact they weren't getting along, and also the whole thing about money and who's getting more royalties, you'll look at the song credits on "Pleasant Dreams," and they're all credited the to specific members of the band. And part of that was true because they did collaborate more apparently in the older records. But since Dee Dee and Johnny weren't talking anymore, it was like you know, it wasn't like one them would bring in part of a song and the other one would help him flesh it out. So they would kind of bring in a song wherever they brought was fully formed. Mm-hmm. So you had. Joey writing a lot of pop songs, Johnny was writing a few punk songs, but they were probably less fast, energetic, more punk songs on Pleasant Dreams than any of the albums before because Johnny didn't really contribute as much. My impression is he must have almost been ready to quit because throughout their history he was the general. He was in charge, he led things, kind of what he said went. So the fact that he let so much go, I think that he was probably losing interest at that point. In notes in here, Graham Goldman, he talks about you know, kind of the difference in the way he produced them and like Phil Spector or some of the later producers they had in the 80's they had like a you know, celebrities producer every album for a while like um, Hollywood Squares yeah almost like that. Yeah, it was a good, good comparison but he was not looking to change their sound and make them sound more like him he was looking to how can I take what they do and make it sound more I guess commercial gay, 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 took my baby away took away, away from me said that, you know, whenever I was trying to help him flesh out that song, I didn't ever give Johnny a guitar part that didn't sound like something that he wouldn't play. You know, I, I may I may have said, like, hey, I think it'd be good if you, you know, put this bar here or, you know, maybe change this arrangement a little, but I think he did, you know, he did a good job for trying to get a good balance, I think. To me, when I read through the song list on this album, I of course, none of them are to me they're all classics. You know, as soon as I read the title, it's like boom, you know, the song comes into my head and
0: like
1: But it didn't do well. It made it to number 58 on the US charts, but the two singles I released for it didn't chart at all.
0: Five. Five. Okay, so we're going over the the third record, the 80s. And this one, to me, looks more like an 80s record.
1: Yeah, Subterranean Jungle. Oh, yeah, the cover, it's it's a drawing of a subway with graffiti on it, and then they kind of superimpose photos of the Ramones in it like they're on the subway. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, I guess one thing I would say that's kind of different, you know, about going back to Pleasant Dreams we just talked about, the cover of that was probably the, the weirdest for him at the time because it didn't have a picture of the band on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a drawing of a shadowy figure, and they had another photo with the band that they were going to put on there, and they didn't use it. So Where's the... at least they're back to a p- pictures of the band. There's, there's only so... three on here. Well, there's four. See up there in the uh, window, there's okay. Johnny. He's see, or is that Johnny? Or is that uh, that Marky? I can't. I can't tell. They look kind of alike in a lot of their photos. Right. <laughs> I don't have as many stories about Subterranean Jungle. It's a good record. Well, it opens with a cover of a little bit of soul, which is kind of a weird thing to open with. Now when you're cool and the, fish will die. the songs I like best on Subterranean Jungle, and it's the songs that Didi Dee Dee Ramone wrote, like "Outsider," which is a great song. In the park, somebody like me, Time Bomb's a great one. And Time Bomb is actually his first uh, vocal, the first time he sang lead vocals on a remote song. Psychotherapy's good, he wrote that with Johnny Ramone, and apparently we're talking to each other again about that point. After Subterranean Jungle, Marky Ramone got fired from the band, the drummer. Alcoholism, yeah, according to Wikipedia. When you hear stories about, you know, Dee Dee and Joey also, you know, reminds me of the replacements when they kicked Bob Stinson out for it, being an alcoholic, because they were all notorious drinkers, so... Obviously. You know, when you lose your place in the Ramones or the replacements for alcoholism, you've really got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so after they recorded the album, he got the boot, they replaced him with Richie Ramone. He contributed a lot to the band you know, as he came in. He ended up writing more songs than most of the other drummers really? did. Really talented guy. He's a classical musician now.
0: He would be one of the few that are still alive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Music. the ones that are still alive are the Ramones. There's you know, Ramone, the original drummer, he died. But Marky Ramone and Richie Ramone, both those the two drummers are still alive. Okay. And then CJ Ramon was the last bass player they had in the, in the 90s after Dee Dee
0: quit. So unlike Go Spinal for... Tap being a drummer in this band yeah. didn't, didn't mean certain demise.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was well for a while it was like the only ones that were still alive were all three of the drummers. Because the first three that died were Joey, Dee Dee, and Johnny. So the first album they recorded with Richie was Too Tough to Die. The Special place to me, and either this one or their first album was the first Ramones album I ever got. So, what did you think when you first heard it? I thought it was great. You know, I mean, I was I was already Ramones fan from Blitzkrieg Bop, mm-hmm. and um, you know, as soon as I heard Too Tough to Die the first album, I mean, it didn't take long for me to say this is my new favorite band. The overall album, they actually brought back um, their original drummer Tommy Ramone under the name Tommy Early, and he produced some of their early records in the '70s, mm-hmm. and um, he came back and produced this one with. At Stasiem, once again, like a lot of their '80s albums, it's very heavy on production. It, it seems like it fits the album because one thing I really like about this album is, in a way, I'm a Ramones purist. I love the you know pure, simple, you know one, two, three, four right, you know, right. kind of stuff. Too Tough to Die has more variety of sound. It's more of the expansion of what they can do uh, than all the albums. It's got hardcore songs on here, like you know. Warthog and Durango 45. It's pretty funny because a lyric sheet a Warthog, <laughs> it's got question marks. And I always thought it because you couldn't understand what he was saying. So he's just like, da, 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 you know? But he is singing lyrics. And I, I, I read later it's because they, the record company was nervous about his lyrics referencing heavy drug use in there. So uh. yeah, he apparently had some major drug problems. <laughs> a lot of mid-tempo songs. It seems like before their songs were either blisteringly fast or really slow. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be going a lot more mid-tempo and too tough to die. And when you listen to the instrumentation parts there's a lot more complexity for the Lamones. John used interesting stuff. Richie, despite you know, in whatever people think of him, he's technically the best drummer they've had. Um, he has a, a little different style. In fact, even <laughs> I have read an interview with him where he was talking about um, a lot of things that he what did with some of the songs he wrote stuff that Johnny rejected him because they didn't sound like Ramon songs. It was something as simple as one song started with drums. Johnny was like, no, Ramon song started with one, two, three, four. <laughs> okay. So even just something as simple as starting a song with drums, broke the code to Johnny. <laughs>
0: But Dee, how you doing down there? Very jolly
1: today. <laughs> <laughs> He's robust. Yeah, Didi reminds me of the lady from East Stroudsburg.
0: The <laughs> same kind of personality as <laughs> you. So
1: Didi, you're happy,
0: aren't you? Yes, I
1: am. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You married, Didi? Yeah. Ten years. Did, do they go on the road with you, your girlfriend's wife? Sometimes.
0: Wives? Yeah, sometimes. Dee Didi, do you take your wife? <laughs> yeah, I took her to California. Yeah. How do yeah, they deal with the groupies? So. You know, Daniel, then, my wife will
1: punch him in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing, really the only way to deal with it, okay? Well, I am a boy. that yeah, you know, we previously talked about the you know, the big song off that. The uh, my brain yeah, that's gonna here. come on a future podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Tune in next time. Well, know? we'll give you a
0: teaser. We've recorded a whole segment about my brain is hanging upside down. Yeah, which uh, is
1: the one of the big singles off this album.
0: Right. I see by the cover they have two new members.
1: Um, actually, no, it's just. Um, you know, you're seeing Richie there. Which oh, is, I'm he's sorry. Also These guys are monkeys.
0: I thought they were people. Oh, okay.
1: see <laughs> so, yeah. You see the monkeys on the pepper <laughs> Yeah, sorry. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in the glasses. You. I, mean, I, I don't think it's one of their better albums of the, the 80s. It's, you know, it's good. I like pretty much all of their mm-hmm. stuff, but and there's certainly good songs off it. You know, once again, my favorite song, you know, off this album is probably a DD song, "Love Kills." The producer of this album was Gene Bouvoir, formerly of the Plasmatics. He actually has a partial writing credit on um, My Brain Is Hanging Upside Down, which I don't think we mentioned in the okay. thing, so that's a little more added <laughs> trivia. <tribute. laughs> um, to me, the song that really stands out is Love Kills, because Dee Dee wrote it, Dee Dee does the vocals, and like some of the songs on Too Tough to Die, I mean, it's more what you think of when you think of punk rock. Hardcore, fast, and the theme of the song, Love Kills, it's about Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen. Kind of yeah, interesting because, you know, the movie Sid and Nancy came uh, out. Gary Oldham. Yeah, they had two songs called Love Kills on the soundtrack, but this isn't one of them. <laughs> 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 when we were talking about um, My Brain Is Hanging Upside Down, that, you know, Joey and Johnny really didn't get along because of the politically, but apparently Johnny had a hard time getting along with a lot of people. Cause Was he, he, he kind of in charge, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah, if you're yeah. in
0: charge... Or you tried to exert control, which is interesting that he would be kind of a conservative guy because conservatives are generally like hands-off.
1: Well, they're hands-off with government, but right. I do think that they, uh, you know, at least the ones I've seen when they're in business and stuff, which, I mean, because you think about like in the workplace, right. you know, people are more liberal. They're, co- they're more kind of, I want to do things my way. I don't want any rules at all. and all. The ones that are more politically conservative, you know, which want hands-off their business, they're also more, you know, telling their people, this is the way we're running things, right. you right. know to go with the stereotype, they're usually more focused on, you know, bringing in the cash. Right. You know, yeah. Making are more focused on the art, I guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You know, the other reason, which I guess we should have talked about earlier, since we're way past the early 80s now, but, and this was probably also back to, you know, the whole Pleasant Dream story about, you know, how they weren't getting along and not mm-hmm. talking, and yeah, I mentioned that Dee Dee and Johnny weren't talking, well, Joey and Johnny weren't either, and still it still probably weren't by this point because Johnny stole Joey's girlfriend. Oh wow! <laughs> and ended up marrying her once again. It's amazing the band stayed together through that. And know. did he say married to her? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, they were still married when he died. So wow. I mean, it worked out. But you know, <laughs> boy, what a talk about tension in the band. In fact, they weren't even talking you know, by the time the band broke up. But you know, Johnny did say that in the since we're talking about the Ramones, you know, if anyone doesn't already know, it's a great documentary called Into the Century about them, and in there he said that. You know, Johnny did say that he was depressed for a week after Joey died. So I, I guess. Did about, they ever reconcile? I don't think they did. You know, I, I, it certainly sounds like they didn't weren't talking about it at the end. And and when you watch into the century and see the Ramones, the interviews with all the different members, it doesn't really suck like any of them really get along, got along. None of them got along. Yeah, it, not, not really. I mean, there's some got along better than others. It's sad because they're like a fun band. Yeah, they're a fun band. And the thing is, nobody knew about it apparently. Because I mean, everybody I know that, that knew about the Ramones, including myself. We didn't realize they all hated each other. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just think whenever I hear a Ramon song, it puts me in a good mood because it's generally happy stuff. It really
1: is, yeah. They got a happy sound. A lot of their lyrics are fun and silly, you know, and happy. And they always look like they're having fun on stage Mm -hmm. while performing. Move on to Halfway to Sanity, which. I think it was a better album than Animal Boy. I think it was kind of coming back around for them. I guess my favorite one on this one, it, once again, it was a Dee Dee written song, Go Little Camaro, Go. It's not as hardcore as a lot of Dee Dee songs, but it has Daddy Harry singing, you know, duetting on vocals. And that helps a lot. It adds a lot to the song, I think. And, Where to me, Animal Boy, I don't know, kind of went, it kind of did what Too Tough to Die did, but in a blander direction. Halfway to Sanity seemed like, I just think it had better songs. I don't know Mm -hmm. how else to describe it without you know, getting musician-y on it. I also mentioned that Richie was a drummer that was writing songs, which was kind of unusual. But he was only getting, like, one song an album because, once again, Johnny Ramone putting the screws down, he was writing enough where he could have had, you know, four or five songs per album. Like they did record them, right? A couple them were on the albums. I don't know if I've heard all the songs he wrote, but I've heard some of them, yeah. Are they good? they're good they're, I don't think they're the best Ramones songs so maybe that was good on Johnny's. well maybe so but you know at the same time if you ask Richie, Johnny's reasoning was once again money you know mm-hmm. he'll, the more songs that he didn't write on an album the less money he got sure so. right. <laughs> well I tell you one song he wrote that was you know was a hit uh, for Ramones hit wise yeah. that that was I guess one of the really good songs he wrote was Somebody Put Something to My Dream. it feels like somebody put
0: something somebody put something
1: on Animal
0: Boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Was he on the Cosby Show or something? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this is terrible. You know what? I'll, I'll tell you this real quick. Before I started, when I was amassing ideas and material to do these 80s podcasts, I was so looking forward to doing one of the Cosby Show because it was instrumental to my growing up. but. I can't do that now at
1: all. <laughs> okay, well, you could. <laughs> I could, but you but have it, to have an interesting take on it, <laughs> right? It's you know? just it's it's
0: ruined. It's yeah. But, well, I mean, you, you know, s- the, of course, there's this contradiction because, like, Kramer off of Seinfeld, uh, Michael Richards, of course, went nuts in the club and was using all these racial terms and all that. But it, I think they finally forgiven him for well, they, that. Yeah, they did finally. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. you know. Uh, people do make mistakes, but, yeah. but but with Cosby thing, I mean, yeah, it's, that's
1: beyond. Uh, that's that's not just a, you know an, angry you know, yelling at somebody. Right, says, saying words you shouldn't say. Right, <laughs> that yeah, a, yeah that, and that was an ongoing thing. But yeah. no what you just till you most of the things that come up to me with halfway insanity, most of the things I just remember about is just the stuff about you know, Richie's involvement because. You know, Richie had been in the band about four years by that point. Apparently when they were recording this album, mixing it, um, Joey wasn't real happy with the way the production was going, and he asked, I guess he trusted Richie's you know, ability, and he asked him to go in like late at one night and kind of you know, work on mixing it. Apparently Johnny came in while you know, Richie was remixing it, and they got into a big argument. Right at, you know, after halfway to Sanity, Richie did end up quitting the band, the reason he gave for quitting the band, uh, which I could also assume that it would probably be, you know, some of the other having trouble getting Walla Johnny stuff, he wasn't getting any proceeds from t-shirt sales at that point. You know, he was like, I've been in the band four years, how come I don't get any of the merchandise wow. cut, you know, and in fact, I've even got my Ramones t-shirt. The classic logo the, the military the circle with the eagle on it. Right. It's gathered the four names around the circle. Mm-hmm. And the one I have has Richie's name on it. <laughs> so, he
0: didn't get a cut of it.
1: Supposedly not, yeah. And um, you know, I guess if my name was on a t-shirt and I was in a band for four years, sure. I think by that point I would deserve some, a cut of them.
0: I always sometimes see the big picture in, the, in these little microcosms. I mean, that's humanity. The same problems but, that yeah, the, I, the world at large. Mm-hmm else this this little punk band that we all love just four guys you know
1: you know and a lot of times you can see like you know there's two sides of every story mm-hmm. but i do have trouble seeing why you wouldn't an official member of a band sharing your merchandise yeah. sales so, you now i know with like take a band like like kiss i know that they have very specific contracts that pretty much the two guys that are in the band now that weren't originals you know they're basically their contracts are like they're hired guns yeah they're on the record covers they're listed as members of the bands but they each get a salary, you know, they don't get, you know, a yeah. percentage of the
0: profits.
1: When they went on tour, they didn't have a new drummer yet, and they got Clem Burke, who's playing Blondie, to join them, um, wanted an Elvis Ramone and they did two shows with him and said it was a complete disaster. You'd think of, you know, guy that grew up in the same scene, Punk Legend, who, uh-huh. you know, could play a Ramone song, I'm sure they got along. But apparently, you know, Ramones had really fast tight beats and apparently he couldn't keep up with and in life, they played it faster than on the records. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, after two shows he was dismissed. Mm-hmm. And uh Mark came back. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, they got he yeah, kind of got his Alcoholism under control, supposedly, and they came back and they recorded the album uh, Brain Drain. It was the last album they did the 80s. Uh, once again, an unusual cover for them. It doesn't have a picture of the band on it, it's like a painting of some kind. Um, some guy's head on fire. Yeah, it's a pretty cool painting, but it definitely doesn't look like a Ramones record when you look at it. Interesting record, good record. You know, have the theme song to Pet Cemetery, which, which Stephen King was a big Ramones fan. Mm-hmm. So. I wanna be in a pet Cemetery? Used to quote some of their songs in his books, you know, and, you know kind of like where Halfway to Sanity is. It, I think it's a record that kind of shows a little more versatility in, in what they do, but, you know, it doesn't go so off the rails that it doesn't sound like a Ramones record. You know, Merry Christmas is a fun song. Merry Christmas, I don't wanna fight tonight. Merry Christmas. Oh, they do a great cover, Palisades Park on here. Oh, yeah, Zero Zero UFO is a good one. Opens up with I Believe in Miracles. Oh, I-
0: overall is a good record? Yeah, I like it. Is there a Ramones record you don't like?
1: Uh, yeah, but came come to the 90s, Acid Eater, when they did their 60s covers. Yeah, I didn't like that one. Once
0: At the end of the 80s, something happened with D.B. Ramone.
1: Right before they recorded Brain Drain, he had started getting into rap music. We starting to show up to like gigs and stuff like dress like hip hop stuff and like it, which totally perplexed Johnny because you know Johnny was all about the uniform the leather jacket and nah, of course you know he made him wear the stuff on stage but before they recorded Brain Drain he ended up uh, quitting the band he went and recorded his own rap album which is just terrible <laughs> 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 he went under the name D.D. King uh-huh. and he had a song called Funky Man and if you like what I'm doing and I'm having fun here's
0: some advice
1: Funny thing is, is, he quit the band, but he still wanted to keep writing songs for him. So he did contribute songs for the later albums. I saw an interview with Johnny. He was like, "That was fine with me. I'd have to deal with, with trying to, to rein in his being such a problem, and we're still getting his great songs." That's cool. <laughs> so they recorded Brain Drain with other bass players, uh, Daniel Ray, who actually was a, a producer for a few albums. I think. Andy Chernoff from The Dictators did. And I should point out when we were talking about Richie earlier, you know, about him not getting old, Johnny. I now remember that Joey had, some, you know, in some of the quotes from Joey, he talked about how he felt that adding Richie to the band was a big savior. He you know, added more energy to the band, you know, and he contributed a lot. Don't blow, don't blow, band.
0: Let's offer of the Ramones in the 80s. If you still want to be sedated some more, you should check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 50, where Mr. Taylor relays how he finally got to see the band live and the links he was willing to go to make it happen. Also, to hear about Cat Taylor's own sort of punk music and professional wrestling career, mosey on over to In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 19. Oh, yeah. In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com.